welcome to the Win Daily Show. Today we got a special guest out in sunny California, Leonard Armato, founder and CEO of Management Plus Enterprises. Leonard, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, Jason. How are you? Pretty good, man. The weather is starting to creep up into the 50s and 60s in New York. Um, not as nice as California, so I'm a little bit jealous about that, but I'm excited to have you on. You've been a leader and a pioneer in the industry, and it looks like to me, from the outside looking in, pretty much everything you've been touching for the past 5, 10, 20 years has been turning to gold. So I want to ask you, what was the first decision you made that kind of led you down this path to where you are today? Well, I don't know if everything I've touched turned to gold because everybody has their stories of failure. And if you have about three or four hours, I can tell you those. But I've had some successes along the way as well. And I think at some point in your career, everyone has to determine what their mission and passion amounts to and how high they want to set their goals. I mean, some people are happy just providing for their family and working nine to five and having the weekends free. And then some people have other goals and aspirations. Uh, I always wanted to do something extraordinary and remarkable if I could possibly do it. I always wanted to use my God-given talents at their highest and best level or I wouldn't be satisfied. I was kind of taught that by my dad. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do leading up to representing professional athletes. I had the good fortune to play college basketball and learn through sports some of the great values that you can apply to business like hard work and perseverance and, and, and not giving up in the face of adversity. Um, and I knew I wanted to help people and I knew I wanted to make money along the way. And so I decided to get a law degree in the hope that that would lead me in the right direction. I started out as a trial attorney, spent a lot of time in the library feeling like my life didn't have purpose. And I had a long talk with my college basketball coach and he said, you should represent professional athletes and teach them how to make the transition from being an athlete to a business person because their average careers are only a few years and many of them leave their business, their profession with nothing. So I thought that was a great way to use my talent. And that was the beginning of my desire to be a sports attorney and sports agent. And that, you know, started my career. So now, you know, with all your experiences in life and running different businesses, and we'll talk about all those businesses, what would be your suggestion right now for college kids who just graduated or high school students who have a passion for sports, their career in sports as far as becoming a professional athlete hasn't aspired to what they thought it was when they were younger, but they want to stay in sports, but it's such a tough business. And to work your way up in this business is, is almost impossible. It's almost like becoming an athlete. So it's like they have that challenge ahead of them again. What would you suggest to them to get involved in sports at this point in their career? Well, I think you need to sit down and, and self-assess and decide how big you want to dream and how high you want to set your goals. And if you really want something badly enough, you can achieve it and you shouldn't settle for anything less than that. And there's always a way. I've always found that if you really want something, you'll find a way to achieve it if you work hard enough you dream big enough, and you don't give up. So there's a lot of ways to start in sports. You know, I have a story for how I started in sports, which I'd be delighted to tell you. But I think the easiest way to start is to begin with an internship with a company that you admire. And even if you're working for free, you'll have an opportunity to do two things. One, 
you'll get the experience of seeing what a company in the business looks like. And number two, you'll have the opportunity to make yourself indispensable. There's so many stories of people that started in the mail room or starting, there's no more mail rooms anymore, but started at the very bottom, working for free, working as an intern, and working their way up in the company. And one of the biggest pieces of advice I could give to young people is make yourself indispensable and always exceed expectation in everything you do. If, if that is your marching orders to yourself, you won't be a failure. You'll constantly be moving up the ladder and achieving all your goals and aspirations. Yeah, you gotta over deliver, especially during these days. You gotta stand out, you gotta over deliver. You gotta be willing to work for free to yeah. some extent for some period of time. And then I also starting to realize myself as I'm maturing that if you want less in return for something that you're passionate about doing, you can lower your expectation maybe on a monetary value, but as far as waking up every day and being happy about what you do, there's a supreme value to your own happiness where hopefully those things balance out and they become higher and higher and higher as you go up. But in that initial phase, yeah, if you made 5000 or $10,000 more, but you hated getting up every day to work, I think it's worth it. Now I'm starting to realize that, you know, I'm, you know, focused on money, but I'm focused more on my passion more than anything else right now. Passion growing up for me was watching basketball, playing basketball, being involved in every sport possible in New York. And growing up, one of my favorite movies was watching Blue Chips. And oh, yeah. it kind of it showed Shaq and Hardaway, Nick Nolte, and then also the bad side of what can happen in college sports. And now with the times are changing now, they just passed laws that college athletes can start earning some money. Yeah. But I'm leaning to the story of how did you get involved with Shaq? I've been watching this guy for years. He's made a great transition off the court. I think he's hilarious. Great guy all around. How did you land him and what's your best Shaq story that you can share? Well, it's, you know, kind of interesting. How did I land him? Well, you know, obviously I had a lot to do with the movie Blue Chips because, uh, you know, he was my client and he had just started his NBA career at the time that Blue Chips occurred. So that was, uh, you know, pretty interesting the way that all worked. But um, the way I landed him was really interesting. I was representing at the time a number of really interesting athletes. I was representing Akeem Olajuwon, and I was representing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at the end of his career. And I was also advising companies on their sports marketing initiatives. And my basketball coach at the time, or my former coach, Stan Morrison, who coached at the University of Southern California, was friends with Dale Brown, who was the coach of LSU. And Stan said to Dale, I want you to meet Leonard Armato because he's been a dear friend and he played for me and I trust him you know, with my life. So I went to LSU and I met Dale Brown, not really knowing anything about Shaquille O'Neal. And I bonded with Dale Brown over stories. I told him stories about Kareem and I told him stories about Akeem and how I got my first client. And we just had an instant rapport. Halfway through the conversation, he says to me, you need to meet somebody. So then he sent somebody down to the practice gym and he brought up into his office two gigantic seven foot college players. One of them was Stanley Roberts and one of them was Shaquille O'Neal. And Stanley Roberts went on to be an NBA player as well. And Shaquille O'Neal at the time was 17 years old. And he was very polite and very shy. And he's like, hello, sir, how are you? I said, hello. So he went back down to the practice court and Dale Brown said to me, you need to meet his dad. 
because his dad controls everything. And his dad is really a stepdad, he said, because his father, his real father left when he was one year old and his, his stepdad has really raised him. But he's a really difficult guy, he told me. He said, there's only one guy that knows how to handle him, that's me. He's a drill sergeant, he's 6'6", 260 pounds, and he does not take any guff from anybody. And um, he is actually um, a, a very difficult man to get along with, but I want you to meet him. I said, okay. So he picked up the phone and he, and he said, hello, Sergeant Harrison. His name was Philip Harrison. <clears throat> There's somebody I want you to meet. Hold on for a second. And I get on the phone. And Philip Harrison says to me, who are you? And I said, well, I'm an attorney. Uh, Coach Brown uh, asked me to say hello to you. I represent Akeem Olajuwon and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He goes, I don't like to talk to people on the phone. And I said, okay. And he says, I like to talk to people eyeball to eyeball. If you want to talk to me, you be down in San Antonio, Texas at 1800 hours next Tuesday. And we'll sit down and talk, you, me, and Madeer. And Madeer is his wife, Lucille Harrison. And I said, okay, Sergeant Harrison, I'll, I'll see you next Tuesday at 1800 hours. See you later. Goodbye. And I looked at Dale Brown. I said, what the heck happened? And he said, well, that's Philip Harrison. <laughs> Go down to San Antonio and work your magic. So it was, that was the beginning of the relationship I developed with Shaquille's family. They lived on an army base in San Antonio, Texas. Um, they didn't have any money. But I'll tell you one thing. His dad wasn't, you know, I, I'd say he was bipolar. He was <clears throat> happy sometimes and really upset other times you never knew which one you're going to get but he taught Shaquille to be very giving and generous to others that are less fortunate and even though they didn't have a lot of money he would always make sure that the the, the, the family gave back to others and I saw that happening over and over and over again and I think that's one of the reasons Shaquille has been so generous to people his entire career so anyway that's sort of the beginning Great dude, man. Like Shaq, great story. And Shaq, you know, is a great dude. Like, I love what he does. Like, as much as I like watching basketball these days, NBA on TNT with Shaq and Barkley yeah. and mm -hmm. that whole crew, it's just like they can have a comedy show on like Comedy Central and still be funny. funny. And you can see he's a real dude. He's not just, he says what he wants to say and he's funny and he's got a great heart. And you know, for him to, you know, handle the whole Kobe situation so perfectly and, and really, you know, take that on and be a leader through that. It was great to see Shaq. And, you know, Shaq hasn't been the only client that you've kind of helped grow. And I'm a fan of boxing. You know, I went to see a Pacquiao fight, two Pacquiao fights in Vegas. And for anybody mm -hmm. who hasn't seen a title fight in Vegas yeah. as a sport fan, it's the best thing ever. Yeah. Um, and I like baseball. I've been to World Series games. I haven't been to the Super Bowl yet. But seeing a prize fight in Vegas is just like an atmosphere like no other. And to see what happened with Golden Boy Promotions and you basically planting the seed there, and that's grown into an empire that some people don't really know how big it truly is. Like, for the most part, it's almost like they own a portion of boxing. Yeah. How did that whole thing transpire? Well. It was interesting after, um, you know, working in football as an agent and then becoming a basketball agent and marketer. And then, you know, using Shaquille sort of, not using, but orchestrating Shaquille to be the first athlete to ever really own and control his own brand. 
that was a really exciting, interesting time. And then a guy that worked with me, a guy named Bruce Binko, said, hey, we should get Oscar De La Hoya and do the same thing because boxing was way behind basketball in terms of marketing, in terms of sports and, and, and utilizing, you know, the most advanced methods. So we met with him and started working with him. And then I said to him one day, you know, your promoters are taking far too large a share of the money you're gen generating from your fights. <clears throat> Maybe you should own and control your own fights. And so we started talking about how Golden Boy could be a vehicle for owning and controlling the sport of boxing with Oscar as the lightning rod. So it was sort of taking the strategy we used with Shaq to own and control your own brand and using Oscar to own and control your own sport. Yeah. So we ended up forming Golden Boy. He ended up promoting his own fights, getting other fighters. And that was sort of the beginning of what happened. Then Bruce, who used to work for me, ended up going to work for Oscar and helping run his company. So it was kind of a full circle. And it's a massive on-taking because, like I said, Golden Boy pretty much runs a lot of the fights, if not all of them. There's other promotion companies that kind of taken on that model now, <laughs> but you seize the opportunity. And you've been kind of a leader in a lot of different organizations. You even spent some time at, at Skechers as well as the no. CMO there. What do you think defines a great leader and how have you been able to basically cross-pollinate your brand and all these other brands and lead them to these great accomplishments? Well, I think, you know, you've got to be looking for remarkable opportunities out there. And I figured out a long time ago, it's just as hard to work on the average as it is to work on the remarkable. You still have to put in the same effort. So why not work on things that are remarkable to give you more latitude to do things that are innovative? You know, like if you're representing Shaq, you can get your phone call answered by anybody. Yep. If you're working with Golden Boy and Oscar De La Hoya, you can reach anyone you need to reach. And then you have at least an opportunity to have a conversation about <clears throat> remarkable, innovative things. So with respect to Skechers, for example, I sat down with the founder of the company who was a longtime friend of mine. He was a, actually a client when I was a sports marketing lawyer. And he said, I want to build my company from just a lifestyle company to a performance company as well. And he said, well, what can we do to make that happen? Because I don't know that world. And I said, well, we got to walk before we run. Let's build a walking business and we build a running business. <laughs> so we decided to build this walking business first, evolving to a running business. And the first person we identified and I said, hey, there's this social media person. And this is just when social media was really starting to grow. And I, and I go, you may not have heard of her, you know, but she's sort of famous for doing a, a, a porno tape. Her name is Kim Kardashian. And he said, yeah, I've heard of her. I don't know, maybe that might be a little racy for our company. I said, well, let's just think about it and talk about it. Long story short, we decided that we could combine social media with mass media, which is traditional advertising. And that combination could have an exponential effect. So we hired her. We put her in the Super Bowl. She was using her social media. All the magazines were taking photos of her wearing her Skechers. We had her in the Super Bowl with her Skechers. And all of a sudden, bigger, better for everybody. She, her, her social following went through the roof. Our recognition went through the roof. And we ultimately evolved the company into a running company, a training company, as well as walking. So 
we had a performance division. But it kind of starts with looking for ways to do things that haven't been done before in a way that hasn't been done yet. So combining mass and social media with someone like Kim Kardashian was our way in. Listen, man, you're always on that cutting edge, the time before the time. So I'm going to hit you with a question now. What's next? Like, what do you see next? Since you've been kind of ahead of the curve, um, it's an ever-changing world now. What do you see really as next as far as an opportunity for you to lead this next mini revolution? I'm assuming you want to stay within sports. Do you have any interest in sports betting, which is about to take off across the world? That's a world that I'm in. Esports, mm. you know, is that potential? Or is there something that I haven't even thought about yet that you're ready to get your hands on or you're already working on now? Well, there's no doubt that betting, gambling is going to be huge. And esports is obviously big as well. I mean, I have a nine-year-old son and, you know, all he wants to do is play Minecraft and different things online. Yeah. So, you know, that's going to be continually growing. You know, my interest is in sports, but at the same time, I kind of look at it like, this is the era, especially when you're talking about how we come out of this, you know, COVID-19 situation. This is an era where everything is around personalization and making sure that whoever it is that we're targeting, if we're a marketer, that we're giving them things that are relevant to their lives within the context of what's happening at that moment in their life. So, you know, obviously the advent of mobile you know, devices, you know, makes this much more effective. Yep. <clears throat> so you know where somebody is, you know what somebody's been looking for, you know what somebody's interested in. And so the days of just like, you know, you getting hit with an ad for something that you can't stand or you're not interested in or this just disrupting your life and yep. you know, pissing you off, those days are coming to a close. And then there's this new era that's going to happen, which is going to be giving you what you want, and then wrapping around it really creative content, which is going to be the kind of content that appeals to you, leading you to take action that, let's say, the marketer wants you to take. So let's just say, for example, I knew you were a wine drinker. And I knew you liked, uh, let's say, moderately priced wines as opposed to really expensive, and you don't drink the cheapest either. So maybe I'm you know, I realized that you are planning a trip to Napa Valley and because you've been looking at Napa Valley and you've got a hotel there that you're going to stay in. And then I can offer you some experiences of tastings that could combine food pairings at a winery that I think you'd like that you've searched for that's nearby the hotel you're staying at. You go, wow, that's really cool because I, would, I wish I thought of that myself. Now, here it is right in front of me. And then you have an opportunity to buy something that's relevant to your life at a price point that you're willing to consider. Yeah, so listen, I I'm with that. As far as, you know, these ads and these marketers and the data that's available, um, and like some people are against it, but I'm for it. I'd rather be fed ads that actually make sense to me than when I'm 20 years old and single getting diaper ads <laughs> that make sense to me now when I, I have a one-year-old daughter. So I'm totally with that. Now, as far as your team goes, how have you built your team and how do you consistently build your team to be able to adapt and pivot from, you know, volleyball to boxing to, to basketball to sketchers? How is that brand ever evolving and how are you rebuilding it now for this new world that we're entering kind of 2020 
ask? Well, I think that really interesting, um, the world's changing faster now than it ever has. There's more uncertainty now in the world than ever before. Uh, if you just look back at, you know, 2000 years ago around the birth of Christ, um, knowledge would double every, you know, century or two. And then all of a sudden knowledge with the advent of the printing press was, was um, doubling every 50 years. And then it became 10 years and then it became five years. And today knowledge doubles every year. So it, knowledge is doubling so fast in this information age that it's hard to keep up with everything. And everybody's feeling anxiety because you can't be good at anything for, for any length of time because it's always changing. So you have to be comfortable with that. And you always have to be looking at how to maintain a curious, always learning mentality. And not worry about not knowing everything every second of the day, but always be willing to look for the pathway to innovation and have a good sense of that. And if you build a foundation in that kind of thinking, you usually are going to be able to make good decisions. I think the world is moving far more towards virtuality. You know, virtuality is going to, you see, we're talking, you know, via this virtual connection. And people are finding business meetings are conducted very effectively over virtual connections. So as we move forward, there's going to be a lot more of that. Uh, maybe business travel will be reduced quite a bit. Uh, you want to have people in offices as much as they used to, even though there'll still be a place for people to gather together, no doubt about that. Um, and we're just going to see an evolution of many, many businesses that kind of respond you know, to the crisis we've been through. And again, my message to anybody out there, if you're feeling fear, if you're feeling anxiety, just look at what's happening. Take stock in the fact that everyone's faced with the same sense of change. You know, there's probably millions of jobs that are going to be lost over the next, you know, three, four, five, six months. And then artificial intelligence is going to rob us of another two million jobs in the next two or three more years. But how do we prepare ourselves for the skills we need that will allow us to succeed in you know, the new world in the new age. And I think I've outlined them, but be always ready to learn, be always ready to adapt, be ready to change based on what's happening. Always keep up on new trends and understand you can't know everything all the time and just be confident in your judgment and everything will work out. Yeah, knowledge is the best commodity, man. Like it's the best investment that you can make is in yourself. So hopefully everybody use this free time where they're not so um, focused on their commute to work and all these meetings and not just sitting on a couch with the Netflix in their hand and flipping through the channels and watching TV and they're building these skills. Now, I know from, from speaking to you now, marketing is an equal passion for you than sports, you know? So you combine both of those to really make yourself a leader from a marketing standpoint, if you can market yourself, market brands, you're always gonna be in a position of power and you'll have leverage because it's a tough thing to figure out, especially these days, if you can't do it the traditional way, you gotta be creative. That's where talented guys like yourself, you know, really excel because you're always innovating and always changing with the times. What Jason, do you consider? I wanna yeah, ask you one really quick thing. <clears throat> because you, you mentioned something I don't wanna miss. Okay. You mentioned about sports betting in the future and, you know, what's going to happen in sports. I just want to say one thing about what's going to happen in sports, which I think is relevant and interesting. And then we'll get back to your next question. You know, when it comes to sports betting, when it comes to media and sports, I think what we're going to see in the future 
is we're going to see, it used to be that sports leagues would sell their media rights in mass. Like here, CBS, you get this, NBC, you get this, TNT, you get that. In the future, each second is going to have a different value because each second, depending on when it is, is going to take place at a more relevant and more valuable time. Like the shot at the end of the game is more valuable than the opening tip, you know, for example. The other part that's going to happen is that you're going to see data infused alongside of content. And this is relevant to your sports betting, you know, question. So let's say someone's taking a shot from three-point range. Immediately, you're going to see what the percentage is alongside of that shot of this guy making the shot. And then when you have players on the floor, you're going to say, well, these five players generally do this in this situation. And all of a sudden, that real-time data is going to be reflected in the betting. And there's going to be all kinds of things that are going to be happening alongside every single second of live sports content. So I just wanted to bring that up. No, I agree with that 100%. What's going to happen is, the way I see it, the fans are going to be replaced with the data and the, the betting handles of, of everything that's going on because instead of those fans cheering and the sidelines, you know, screaming and doing what they do, you're going to see exactly what you said. Steph Curry today is shooting 30% from three. And then next to it, you know, once the sports betting becomes more evolved, is he going to hit his next shot? It's mm. minus 110. You can bet it now at MGM, and it's going to be tapped into your phone. So as those data points come in, you tap to your phone, you can then mobile bet on that shot or that game, and there's going to be so many games within the game, not just betting-wise, but also competition-wise, where you can yep. predict where you're not going to be risking millions and millions of dollars, even though that's going to happen as well. There's going to be innovative games where it's kind of esports-esque, where people are going to watch people bet and compete on the game itself. So I'm excited for that. I think it just throttled the, the acceleration of when that's going to come because everybody has to be more creative now. So the people who are creative and innovative in this new world in regards to how sports are going to be visualized and, you know, a lot of things are going to change. Even the movie business is going to change with it. But I think sports is going to be the leader as far as this virtual change of what's going to be seen. And I just hope government can catch up to it. You know, I saw somebody post some funny things on social media, like bringing poker back online, bringing mobile betting back. You know, I hope they just make quick decisions because these states are going to need the tax revenue. And what better tax revenue than poker and casinos? It's guaranteed money for the state. And we're all bored at home. This would be the perfect time to accelerate, you know, those uh, decisions. But I hope they do it. But I never have too much confidence that they move along because everybody's trying to get their own pockets fed throughout the process. But it should be interesting. And, you know, with Vegas now kind of in a bad position that they were trying to block it before because they wanted everybody to come to Vegas to bet, I think now they have to be on the side of mobile betting because – if they get it in their hands, now they can go ahead and bring it to the masses too. So I think that's a, a good point you bring up there. And yeah. a minute, are you making any moves personally? Are you gravitating towards a sports betting esports world or you're, you're staying well, put with what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, you know, we work on various projects depending on the situation. So I don't have any um, gambling or, or, or betting clients at the moment. But I certainly keep abreast of what's going on. I'm, you know, very close with the commissioner of the NBA, Adam Silver, who's been a great proponent 
of legalizing and organizing in a proper way, the way gambling works with the sports leagues, you know, to ensure credibility and to ensure authenticity in the process. So, yeah, I mean, I'm always open to interesting challenges. I mean, I have a little bit of a problem with betting myself because I don't like it when people get addicted to, to gambling and then yep. they do something that, that's really harmful to themselves or their families. No, I agree to that. Next time you see Adam, I just want you to personally thank him for me for putting together this last dance with Michael Jordan. Like the whole story behind that, when I read the article from ESPN before it came out, was just crazy how this whole thing transpired, that they put together this vault in New Jersey. And Adam Silver was one of the guys, when he's working on the media side of things, to kind of convince the whole camp you know, at the Bulls and Jordan to, to at least allow them to record this and put this deal together. And then it lasted like 20 years in a vault in Jersey. Nobody knew about it. At least the public didn't know about it until Michael agreed that, okay, you can now release it. He's been seeing more of these 30 for 30. I just thought it was a great story that it was sitting there forever. And then just a couple things had to happen that made him say, you know what, now's the time, release it. Have you been watching The Last Dance? You like the whole? Of course I've been watching. Yeah, in fact, I actually emailed last night with Adam about it. And uh, we were laughing because at the time I was representing Ahmad Rashad and Shaq. And so Ahmad Rashad was Michael's like best friend. Best friend, yeah. And he was always interviewing him because Michael trusted Ahmad. And so, and he really didn't trust a lot of the media at that point because they were attacking him about his gambling, et cetera. Yep. So, you know, Adam was the president of NBA Entertainment at the time, which presided over that part of the company. And he was the one sort of responsible in overseeing that whole thing. So I was a little bit, not involved, but I had certainly knew what was going on at the time. Yeah, it's a crazy story, man. It's really great yeah. to see the back end and how fiercely competitive he is. And then also seeing, you know, you feel bad because I never want that life. Like, I always grew up wanting to be an athlete and mm -hmm. wanting to be the best and loving competition. But I would now, as a, a more mature person, I would always take the agent role where I can be around sports but not have that pressure of every day. Like he was saying on the last episode, he has no time for himself, man. Like every waking moment, it's either you're focused on the high level of competition of basketball and the pressure, or you got hundred microphones in your face, just, you know, accusing you of everything <clears throat> under the, under the, under the bed that you really have no lifestyle to yourself. So it's really tough. And, the media always portrays the bad guy and a lot of the good stories never come up because they're always looking for dirt rather than the good things that people do. And it's always at the end of their career that you realize Kobe was one of the best ambassadors of the game and he did so much stuff off the court and Michael was a certain way. And, you know, all these athletes that never get that side of the story from media a lot of times, which is, you know, a negative kind of thing, but I wish more good reporting goes on rather than, hey, why did you shoot two for 20 from the field? Why are you on a three-game losing streak? And really get the better side of the story from the NBA and all the major leagues. So hopefully they get that soon because these athletes deserve a better uh, response from the media. Yep. So I got the last question for you now. Right. Um, this question I ask everybody. Win Daily, yes, we do fantasy sports. Yes, we cover esports and sports betting and everything under the umbrella uh, of sports. But – the mindset is a little bit different. We are, our goal is to be a lifestyle brand to help people have this win daily mindset. And I know over your career, you've developed 
and you told me a couple of things off air that you do every day to get you in the right mindset. What is your mindset every day that you can kind of call your own win daily type of mindset? Yeah. So I think that you have to, you know, one of my former clients and a close friend and someone who I actually introduced to his wife is a coach named Pete Carroll. Pete nice. Carroll's a famous coach, coached at USC, coached uh, obviously uh, still at the Seattle um, Seahawks. And he has this philosophy that he calls um, win every moment. So let me just sort of take that back to a daily regimen. I have a daily regimen, which is designed and it's kind of after the John Wooden. Remember John Wooden, the great basketball hey, coach? His, his mantra was make each day a masterpiece. So if you come to the dance, <laughs> we're talking about dances, with a mindset of winning every moment and making each day a masterpiece, you're going to do something really, really special. So I wake up early every single morning, and then I go to a, a place where I meditate and pray. And I spend maybe 10 minutes doing that, you know, filling myself with gratitude, filling myself with positive energy, filling myself with visualization of the kind of success I want to experience that day. And then following that, I do some breathing exercises, breathing exercises, deep breathing to kind of get my blood flowing. And uh, there's a guy named Wim Hof, Wim Hof, who has this series of breathing exercises he recommends. I do a, 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 a sort of a form of that. And then I do a little journaling. So I write for five minutes of those things that are most on my mind for the moment, getting myself ready to have an incredibly productive day. Then I go downstairs to my gym and I work out and I do what I call high intensity, not, I mean, it's not crazy stuff, but, but interval training for about 30 minutes to really get my engine started and, and burning and, and cause you really need to be in the best mind, body and spirit in order to have a great day. And then I get dressed. I shave, even in COVID-19 period, I shave, I get ready, I put work clothes on and I come down to my office and I start working on those things that are most important to work on throughout the day. Then I have a holistic approach to life. Holistic means how do you balance family, personal, and business? Giving each family, personal, and business a mindful attention whenever you're engaged in an activity. So you have a, a baby, right? Yep. Okay, so pay attention to your baby when you're with your baby. Pay attention to your wife when you're with your wife. Pay attention to the personal small matters. I mean, I love this quote from Mother Teresa, which says, don't worry so much about doing great things all the time. Worry about doing little things with great love. And if you do that one by one by one and carry that mindset throughout the course of the day, worrying about making other people's lives better along the way, you're going to end up feeling good about yourself and you're going to end up feeling as if you've been as productive as you can have been throughout the course of that day. So that's my methodology. That's a good one, man. I've been trying to take, listen, I know I'm not the smartest guy in the room, so I've been trying to, to get the knowledge from guys like yourself and David Meltzer and other people that we've been interviewing on this, this podcast and this show. And I took a lot of mental notes, man, from what you just told me. And I think it's really powerful. And it's tough. Even during this quarantine session, I found it even more tough somehow to work out. I don't know why. Like, I realized that I've always... I'll tell you why. Wait, hold on. Go for you it. Gotta, you have to do it at the beginning of the day. In other words, it's just got to be... Here, 
Do you, do you have a place you can work out in your house? Yeah, the, the, the room I'm in right now has a treadmill over there, a punching bag have, over there. Do you have it's a all mirror? right there. Do you have a mirror in the room? Yeah, it's, it's also right there. Okay, so here's what you do. Okay. You take your shirt off. You work out for 30 minutes a day. Treadmill, some weights, whatever that is, mix it up. But you got to do it for 30 minutes. And be like LeBron James. Take your shirt off when you're working out and watch the results. Oh, yeah, I look a little stronger today. Oh, I can see the results. But you got to do it at the beginning of every day like clockwork. And if you do, you'll find you'll get great results and it'll set you up for doing better work. So anyway, that's my, that's my gift to you for today. <laughs> no, I definitely I, – I enjoy that. I got to do it. It's, I have all the pieces here. It's just – it's just prioritizing everything, you know. And another thing that you said I think is really powerful is, is live within that moment. So whenever you're done with your work and now you're in front of your wife or you're in front of your daughter yeah. or son or whatever it is, that has to be time where even if it's five minutes, give that time and that dedication to being present in that moment. And that's yes. something that, that's really huge to take. And even when you go to work, make sure you're not playing on social media when you're at work because – you're, you're really being ineffective and inefficient in your time. And time management is something that everybody has the same amount of time in their days. But guys like yourself and other people I've met along the way, they take advantage of every second, every minute. Like I was shadowing David in New York City a couple months back, and I remember a story of we're going to meeting after meeting. He's doing a podcast, and I'm learning, and we're talking. And then we hop in a cab. And he hops on the phone with his wife. And I don't do that because I don't want to be on a conversation. I go throughout the entire day. I don't speak to my wife. And then by like 8 o'clock, I get that call from my wife. It's like, where were you all day? I'm like, mm -hmm. I've been busy with David doing all these things. And I realized David got that five-minute call into his wife that kept him clear for the rest of the day. And just uh, taking advantage funny. of those times and being – you know, I keep a calendar with me, which is great. But, and, I, and I notate stuff, and I, I feel like I'm effective. But – there's certain areas that I still need work on. And like you said, there's little, these little secrets that can go ahead and, you know, maybe taking the shirt off and seeing the results faster, yeah. quicker could yeah. be a stupid, you know, fix, but it could be the one that, you know, motivates me even more. Cause I have all the pieces I have the time, especially on quarantine. There's no excuse now, but no I've been staying active, but I haven't prioritized working out at that level. And it's great to see that you still are getting everything in and, you know, I'm forgetting what day it is sometimes, and you're still getting dressed up and doing your workout. <laughs> so you're a professional, and I appreciate the time you spent with us. Um, yeah. Where can everybody, you know, follow along with you? Is it, is it Twitter, IG? Which social media presence are you most involved with? Well, I mean, you know, you can follow me on LinkedIn. It's under my name, Leonard Armato. Um, my Instagram handle is at Leonard Armato. My Twitter handle is at Leonard Armato. So it's pretty pretty simple <laughs> nice man so i appreciate your time today we'll Welcome. talk soon we'll get an update in the next couple of months see how everything's going with with all the brands that you're working with and i appreciate your time brother my pleasure take care all right jace